to Hashtag Single with Jeanette Bonner. I am not a relationship expert or sex therapist. I'm just a regular New York City woman navigating the world as a single, independent feminist. Hashtag Single is about having honest conversations with other singles in today's device-obsessed culture. So I hope you'll join me on this interesting, challenging, and complex journey as we navigate the ins and outs of singledom. Hey guys, welcome back to Hashtag Single. I'm Jeanette, your host. You are at your favorite place to be for fabulous single feminists such as yourself. As I'm sure you all know, this month is also Women's History Month or Her Story Month, if you're particular about that. Women's History Month was created to commemorate the study, the observance, the celebration of the vital role of women in American history. And I just want to mention that federal institutions, you know, the Library of Congress, the National Archives, the Records Administration, the NEA, National Endowment for Humanities, National Park Service, the Smithsonian Institution, they all honor and recognize women's role in our nation's history. Maybe not all the time, but at least for 30 days. So this month we are continuing with our author series by having a guest who is an esteemed therapist, psychology professor, speaker, and podcast host, Dr. Karen Anderson April. She is the author of Single is the New Black, semicolon, Don't Wear White Till It's Right. Love that. And which is a self-help book on dating that encourages readers to stay strong amidst prevailing single shaming messages, which is to say that I cannot wait to talk to her and welcome her to hashtag single. Dr. Karen, thank you so much for being on the podcast with me. I am so thrilled to be here, Jeanette. This is the stuff I obviously like to talk about all day, every day. (laughs) So I'm thrilled to join you and your audience. Oh my God, we're going to get down and dirty. Um, (laughs) uh, Before we begin, I just want to introduce you to our audience by reading your bio, if you don't mind. Dr. Karen Anderson Abril holds a master's degree in clinical psychology and a doctorate in developmental psychology. She spent the early portion of her career as a psychotherapist for children in Chicago's child welfare system and then stepped into academia for 10 years at both Chicago State University and Concordia University in Chicago. As a sought-out speaker and writer, she has been featured in Glamour, Women's Health, Bustle, Brides Magazine, and more, delivering on topics such as modern dating mindset, emotional and romantic wellness, and authenticity and identity. Her podcast, Love and Life with Dr. Karen, has positive conversations around how to have a happy, positive life across relationships, careers, family, and more. She currently lives outside of Chicago with her husband and her two dogs. <laughs> you have an astonishing career. And first of all, brava and all of your accomplishments. Oh, um, let's start at the beginning. So your career spans the child welfare system to academia and then has now kind of maneuvered into self-help and media. I'm sure to many, they seem kind of unrelated, but I'm, I'm personally curious, like what the through line is, like, where does your passion lie? What are some of your core values that have led you in this career? Yeah, it did start more in a traditional manner. I got my master's in clinical psych, and that is how to be a therapist. So then I was 24 years old, and I moved into Chicago, and 
I was going to save the world, Jeanette. Don't you know? You know, we all? As 24, we all? <laughs> as 24 year olds often do. <laughs> and, and yeah, so I worked in the child welfare system in the south side of Chicago, which as you know, and I'm sure your listeners know, kids who end up in foster care have gone through a lot. And that was my first foray into professional world. And child welfare is brutal. It's mm. very, very painful with, like I said, even if you have all the energy and the enthusiasm, seeing a child in your office one hour a week doesn't, doesn't fix the enough. fact. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't fix what's going on at home with substance abuse and parents that maybe were never together and maybe someone's incarcerated. I mean, just all the things that are very, very painful realities for many children. So I did that for several years. And I guess, again, the value has always been, I, I don't, it sounds so cheesy. I don't even want to say it, but like helping people. But <laughs> I mean, it's just it's like, I'm cheesy. <laughs> it's beautiful. Oh, well, thanks. But it just, it's, yeah. Well, thank you. But yeah. So as a child, I remember thinking, I would like to be one of those people that people go to and talk to help with their feelings. And no one in my family had ever been to therapy or it wasn't part of, my dad was a professor of music. My mom was a school librarian. So it, it I don't know where I came up with that. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, that's kind of the through line, like you said. And then after working with the kids in the inner city, I, I did a year of volunteer work in West Philadelphia, where I lived in West Philly and uh, volunteered at the YMCA and worked with a local church and did some work there. So I had this inner city passion. I just wanted to be a part of helping underserved communities. And then so that when I went back to get my doctorate, because I was the weirdo in my master's program who everyone else was, they were training to be therapists. And most of them given uh, the chance to do a class presentation, that wasn't really their thing. Me, I would finish a class presentation all jazzed and exhilarated, like keyed up, like that was fun. I like <laughs> being up in front of people and sharing stuff that I'm passionate about. And the rest of them were, you know, more subdued kind of therapeutic types. And so they were like, oh, that was brutal. And so there was this little inkling that maybe the traditional therapy role wouldn't be my path for forever, mm. which then kind of led to me going, you know, I want to get my doctorate so I can be a professor. And that's kind of how that happened. And then again, that urban theme wove its way through. So when I finished my doctorate and I moved back to the city, I definitely wanted to find an urban context to start my career as a professor. And that's how I was at Chicago State University, which is in the South Side and serves many first-generation college students. It's probably 98% African-American, maybe 1% mm. Latino and like 1% white as far as the demographics of the school. And then yeah. I, my final five years as a professor, I went to Concordia University of Chicago, as you noted. And there I was teaching in the grad program, teaching people who wanted to become therapists. So then my therapeutic training from before kind of came through in the academic context as I was teaching people who wanted to become therapists. All along, Jeanette, I am professionally on track and feeling very happy that yes get that degree check right and get that job at Chicago State check and really loving my connection to my students and feeling passionate like I said I love getting in front of people and talking so that felt very fulfilling all the while my personal life was not going as planned as uh -huh. as we all know as as all of the guests <laughs> on this podcast before you have talked right. about yes 
Yeah. So that that feeling, and I think I know you're, because my community does too, and I know your listeners resonate with this, that feeling of empowered woman, take charge, make a goal, grab it, check it off the list. That wasn't, that same energy wasn't able to work in my personal life, which is kind of what got me into the space of where I am now. That's so interesting. I I mean, first of all, you're like the I wish I wish I'd been able to connect with you before you were married because you're like the key audience member and like like single woman exactly that I like to interview and talk to and and why I started this podcast in the first place like uh, I feel like a lot of women I know are just killing it and I love that you said this like happy in their careers and in their lives they're very fulfilling but dating is just not working. And why isn't that working in modern culture? But it's really interesting to me that you stepped away from your collegiate career to address this and to sort of like follow, as Elizabeth Gilbert says, and I love this quote, like follow your curiosity. Like this is something that's sort of in speaking in the back of my mind and maybe bothering me a little bit. Like, why can't I answer this question? I'm going to lean in towards that. Yeah. Well, it was twofold. It was not easy to leave. I loved being a professor. Oh my God, I still, I'm sure, yeah. I still miss it. I don't miss grading papers. I don't miss catching <laughs> plagiarism and having to go to the honor committee and blah, blah, blah. But I, I do miss that. But it was twofold. One was that I was teaching stuff. So, for example, in a grad course, you're teaching about family systems and all the dysfunction that can happen in a family and how that is something we carry. Our family of origin issues, mm. they play out in our adult relationships with friends, with romantic partners, with coworkers. And I would think, as I'd be giving a lecture to maybe 24 grad students, I'd be thinking, you know, everyone needs to know this. <laughs> like, this is something that we could all benefit from. So, so much yeah. of the therapeutic... Uh, curriculum and so much of just psych in general, I thought I would love to have a platform where I could share this with the layperson, with someone who isn't in a grad program to be a therapist. So that was one part of it. And then the other factor that just kicked in so hardcore is I back on the scene. So as I mentioned, my personal life wasn't going as planned. At 34, I was engaged to be married two months before my wedding. I called it off because I knew that I was trying to do what I'd done professionally, right? I've tried to set this goal and check it off. And I was trying to take that same energy and make it happen. Mm -hmm. Find a good guy and make this relationship work so I could have what I thought I was supposed to have and what I wanted also. What I wanted to have at 34 was the husband and then the chance to start having a family. And I took that energy and tried to force it. And two months before I was supposed to get married, I realized I can't force this. I cannot. It would be living a lie. This is inauthentic. And so I became a runaway bride. And now I'm back on the scene at 34 in Chicago dating again, looking for resources and support. I'm a psychologist, right? So I'm going to go to the self-help section and see what's out there. (laughs) And I'm realizing that the messages in these very well-intentioned self-help books oftentimes were telling me that I was doing something fundamentally wrong and that perhaps I was even fundamentally flawed. And I would leave the self-help section feeling worse than when I arrived. And I thought, "Mm, all these disempowering messages... When actually, I think many single women are doing the more empowered thing, the harder thing, which is to stay true to themselves, live Mm -hmm. authentically and wait for something really extraordinary. Or if that doesn't show up as far as partnership, find a very fulfilling life 
single that they can thrive in despite the prevailing messages from society. So that led me to this space again because I thought, okay, well, you're a psychologist. You better write the book. <laughs> yeah. Which, which, again, so that's what led me away from academia to where I am now. I really resonate with that story on, on so many levels, just the idea of taking charge of your life and your happiness and feeling like you can also use that skill to control your dating and relationship aspect of your life, which we've all discovered is like the one thing that we just don't have control over, which can be frustrating for a lot of women who are empowered and intelligent and independent and dare I say alpha, right? Mm -hmm. But I also love that you were like, (laughs) I'm I'm going to solve this problem uh, of my singleness by teaching myself some skills (laughs) and then being like, no. I have to teach other people the skills. <laughs> like, it's like a beautiful movie. <laughs> I had the answer in me all along. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's really what you're saying. Uh, and you do. You do. One of the things I really love about your book is that, um, well, two things specifically, but uh, one, that a lot of the dynamics in the book center around addressing a culture that places the quote unquote blame, you know, as if one needs to be blamed for being unpartnered um, of being single on single women, Mm -hmm. um, which is something we talk about a lot here. But I also really love the structure of the book because instead of just a sort of a standard structure of self-help book of maybe addressing these myths, if you will, you break it down into sections of different perspectives, starting from like the psych 101, which is your perspective from a Uh, intellectual and historical context coming from a psychologist going to like girl talk which is receiving a letter from a woman who's single and experiencing this particular problem going to like guy talk which Mm -hmm. I mean hi like as you guys know you listen to other episodes of hashtag single every other episode we talk to a single woman but at the end we have the voice of the patriarchy which is a single male to address whatever it is we're talking about just to get some counter perspective and so guy talk in your chapters kind of does the same thing and so every time the guy would come in and be like yo we're dealing with the same problem yeah <laughs> it's like i i loved that the most so i was like i love that it's sharing that this is not the fault of women and that this is a a cultural problem across the board. Um, So the title, Single is the New Black, where did that come from? What does it mean to you? Is it meant to sort of resonate with like sex in the city kind of thing? Yeah, exactly. It's, I love the nod to fashion, although I'm not a fashionista. I'd love to be in my, (laughs) in my head, in my fantasy world, but black is, is always in vogue, right? It's always classic. It's part of your wardrobe that's always, um, I don't know, sophisticated and elegant. Mm -hmm. And I like the idea that we look at single through fresh eyes. If we read my book, if we read, if we listen to podcasts like yours, if we read others who are doing this kind of work, we can see that single as sophisticated and elegant and, and elevated in a way that it has not been in prior generations. And then, of course, the don't wear white till it's right is just a fun way of playing with that, that color theme again. And, of course, white being wedding. Right. And then, yeah. of course, me having called off a wedding, it was kind of a nod to that. But also just an encouragement <laughs> that 
I, I talk with my community on Instagram where that's where I'm most active and I share with my women all the time. Like we're not out here to just have a mediocre connection just so we can, again, check that box of marriage check. Now everyone will shut up when I go home for Christmas and you know, grandma won't ask, so are you seeing anyone, right? We're not looking for something mediocre. We are going to thrive and be happy as is. And should someone also thriving and also happy who wants to partner hand in hand in life comes along, cool. That'd be wonderful. But we're not settling. We're not watering ourselves down. We're not going to tone who we are down a notch to be somehow uh, considered attractive to a man who can't handle a strong woman. Those are things we will not do. And so I like the fashion nod because I think that it's, you know, we all kind of glamorize fashion. And so I thought that'd be kind of a fun way to, to frame what I was trying to say. Yeah. It's, and I like the analogy. I think it's really cute. There's, I was just thinking as you're speaking, there's also a lot of, you know, do's and don'ts Yeah. in the same way that That's I true. think you address in your book, the way that women can be too picky or not get out there enough or too desperate or too opinionated. There's like so many opinions held by our culture about the right way to date or live life or be dressed. So I love that, that pairing of ideas. I'm just curious, like what, um, was your favorite quote unquote voice, I guess, of the book or section, the way you break it down? That's such an interesting question. No one's ever asked me that, Jeanette. I think, I mean, cause I'm such a geek and I, you know, as a professor, I like the portions where I would bring in a little psych research, you know, I talked about the f- research out of the University of Toronto, a woman who's doing research on the fear of being single. Mm-hmm. So something that we all kind of know in our gut when we see people settle and we know that people stay in bad relationships because they think, well, it's better than being alone. No, it's not. No, True. it's not. But just to know that there's research on that and people are finding that the professionals are finding exactly what we know in what well, intuitively that we do make decisions from fear so often in the romantic realm and then also the part where i brought in some of the therapeutic strategies rebt is my favorite rational emotive behavior therapy and talked about how you can take charge of your thoughts that's the theme of my podcast take charge of your thoughts take charge of your life and so for the single experience we determine if it's what it means to be single. We determine if that means that, oh, I'm something must be wrong with me and that's why I'm not married yet. Or we determine, oh, something must be right with me because I'm not going to settle. Mm-hmm. So we have that power. And I think so often we give that power away to others, to quote unquote society. And so I love the idea of taking that back. And so weaving in those therapeutic uh, interventions in a way that can be empowering for single women that's probably my favorite part I think that's one of the strongest aspects as well just because there are as you said so many self-help books on dating and love and almost in an overwhelming way so you know part of me is like well why would I listen to one voice over the other but what's really lovely is that you're not just bringing in your knowledge you're bringing in this support system of knowledge not just from your uh, training and your experience as a professor but also saying like hey here's also some research that other people have done to support this theory like you're (laughs) you know instead of just saying like here's my opinion about dating and here are the theories that I have come up with like it really and I I think that's one of the values of the book is like I said I really gravitated towards hearing 
hearing the male perspective. I love hearing um, women's voices who have written you letters. Like it's not just your voice saying like, here's my thoughts on single. It's reinforced from different perspectives and different angles. Thank you. Yeah, I really wanted it to not just be a memoir or something. That's and and see again as a geek, <laughs> I'm that person that someone can tell me something if they want to share their experience. That's absolutely valid. But if they want to give me some preachy advice about something, then I'm like, well, says who? Mm, <laughs> I'm like, well, I yes. need to see some research on that. <laughs> me too. Me you know, too. So. Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, it seems that all of this well-meaning advice is coming from other women, including our friends, often yeah. our mothers. Uh, chapter two, very early on in your book, your chapter is called Your Mother is Wrong. <laughs> so I, I mean, this seems like an antiquated problem, but here we are in modern culture, 2021. What is it about modern women that still places blame on women, but not on men? This feels like an equality issue that we just can't surpass. I think it just has to do with how we are assessed and valued, again, through quote unquote societal eyes. Mm. Men are valued for their earning potential, the job and the car they're driving and these other economic factors. That's how they are assessed as successful or not. And women, we can have all those other things, but really at the end of the day, and not that you and I think this, but the majority of people still, whether they realize it or not, they value women based on who the woman is in relationship with and that starts with who are you dating and what does he do right and then Mm -hmm. it's oh what does your husband do and I mean we take their names when we get married I mean is there any more profound way to identify with another person than to share the same name so and then after that it's well who's your who's your whose kid is yours which kid is yours so then we go to our identity is always assessed and our value and our worth in society is estimated by our relationships. So what happens is then grandma and mom are worried that if their daughter doesn't have that relationship, they are worried that others will see her as less than. They will devalue her worth as a person and member of society. So then grandma and mom go, shoot, did we raise her incorrectly? We didn't teach her how to snag a man. So then grandma and mom say things very disparaging, like fix it, fix it, whatever you're doing, with the men, get, I mean, do you need to flirt more? I mean, do you need to put on more makeup? Do you need to lose 10 pounds? Do you need to look, wear a low-cut dress? Whatever you need to do, fix it because we need you to have the status that we think you deserve because we love you. It's coming mm. from a place of love that doesn't feel right. like that. And so fix it and then elevate your status so that you can be deemed worthy of being in partnership with a man. And then we can breathe a sigh of relief that we've done our job and you're okay and everyone sees the worth and the value that you inherently have, but we need society to give their approval as well. That's so crazy to me that, that we're still dealing with that. Oh, crowd. but we are. But I we know. Are. I, well, you know, that makes me think of two things. Well, first of all, it reinforces what you were just talking about. Like people are afraid to not be in relationships because it almost has this kind of like picked for picked last for kickball feeling like, um, yeah. mm-hmm. You know, and I've been asked my fair share of like, why are you single? You seem like a great person. (laughs) The subtext being you're obviously there's some hidden flaw that I can't find since nobody has found you yet. I've also been, um, you know, I've, I've had language, uh, delivered to me of like, um, 
well, you're pretty, you'll find someone kind of like, <laughs> like someone will, will discover you on the street. Don't worry about it. Just bide your time kind of thing. You know what I mean? But, um, and I, I do, I literally have a quote on my wall that I don't remember it. So I'm not going to misquote it, but I'm going to paraphrase it in that it's like, uh, most people in the world are in relationships because being single is scarier than the prospect of, um, staying in a unhappy relationship. And I remind myself to bulk myself up all the time. But while you were talking, I was also just thinking immediately of the way that the media treated Dr. Jill Biden um, is referring to her. And I mean, obviously she's like the the president's wife. And we always talk about the president's wife as being that in that order, you know, because he has the highest uh, position in the land and she is second to him but in the way that they weren't properly giving her her title as doctor they were calling her like mrs biden um so that just like that triggered that um when we were talking about god i can't believe we're still doing this in society and i'm like well we were just doing it months ago yeah you know yeah i want to share this side story with you so i when i read that chapter i was curious about what my mother's experience has been because my mom and I don't even talk about my dating life yeah (laughs) part of me is like I think that's because she's given up on me (laughs) but but I was like you know what let me just ask I wonder what she says when people ask her about my single life you know like why is she still single she must be too picky etc so I asked her and I want to just share this with you so she said she hasn't fielded that question from people. She says it's a very personal question and it doesn't come up. So that's one thing, you know, but she said to me, if it did, she would say she's got a very busy life and she doesn't want to be tied down to anyone or anything. She just wants to be happy on her own. I'm sorry that she doesn't have a companion. I would love for her to have a companion, but I think she's living her life on her own terms and doing what makes her happy. And that makes me happy. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I was like, well, I mean, I do want a companion and um, I'm not necessarily like, a, a, I don't refuse to be tied down, yeah. but um, everything else she got, you know, 98% correct. Like yeah. I'm very happy. I do have a busy life um, and not for nothing. It is none of their business. <laughs> so, right. Right. So bravo, mom. Yeah. I love that. I'm so glad that you you asked her because that so that's to me, that seems like we have made some progress. We actually have. We really have. At the same time, I do hear from women in my community, they will, when I post something along the lines of people's impressions of you because you're single, they will sometimes, they'll say, my mom is the worst. So I think it, it still exists, but I'm so glad to know because I, and I, again, my mom, there were some moments early on when I come home for Christmas and they'd be like, well, are you seeing anyone? I'd be like, you know what? If there's anyone that I'm seeing that I'm excited about, you guys will be the first to know for sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, uh, but also... If I come home and I am crying in my bedroom and I don't want to go out and have fun and I'm, I can't even enjoy the holidays because I'm so despondent by, about being single, which mm, I'm not, am I? Have, have I ever done that coming home? Then we can worry about <laughs> me and my single yeah, status. Yeah, yeah, good point. You know, I tried to try to encourage them. This isn't fake. Like, I'm not faking that I'm happy. I am really happy. Now, of course, I when I called off my wedding, there were some months of difficulty. I'm not saying that every moment in my single season was whistling Dixie pie in the sky and and tripping through the daisies. But I wanted to encourage them that like you, you're you're like, I am happy. It's not like you've written off ever being partnered, but 
you're this this is not this is not a second best life that you're living right now. Yes, yes, exactly. Well, and it feel really good to hear that what I put forward is what they're seeing. Yeah. So they see that I'm content and happy in my life, that I'm busy, but not to distract myself from unhappiness. Like I have embraced my life and I'm enjoying it. And I love that even though I feel that way, that's seen and reflected mm-hmm. by my family. They're like, she's good. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like that feels really nice that they can see that and feel confident in that, you know? Sure. So it's like I said, doesn't support your book, but but I, I was like, I'm glad, you know, yay, mom. I have to share this story. Um, yes. How fabulous! And I also just love, and it's none of their business. Yeah, <laughs> that's my favorite. I just imagine someone at the YMCA being like, "So your daughter's 40 and she's single." My mom would be like, "Sit down and know your place," you know, <laughs> <laughs> which I love. And it's it's so weird that people feel that a single person's personal life is fair game for really invasive oh, yeah. questions but like no one would be at that ymca and have this sense that let's say you had married someone at 27 because you were afraid of being alone and everyone kind of knew it they went to the wedding like we've all been to those weddings where we're like mm. and no one would say to your mom then well jeanette i mean why did she settle i mean we know she's settling <laughs> right? right if someone's married Valid. no matter no matter what they really think about the marriage it's off limits to have that conversation, to ask that personal question, which I'm glad. I don't think people should be asking questions in the first place. But why is it that the single person's, her her personal life is fair game? Totally valid question. Yes, absolutely. And actually, I have a really intense, deep question, but I think you can handle it. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> what do you think it will take for society to actually stop blaming women on a variety of issues, not just relationships and being single, but a variety of issues and hold men accountable. Yeah, that's such a, I mean, I don't know. That's like women are blamed, but then like Cuomo's getting grilled now, you know, so I don't like it is actually true. (laughs) There are are changes happening, right? Yes, true story, true story. Yeah, so I don't also... I, as a psychologist, so sociologists look at groups, right? And they study how groups interact with one another. So they'll look at like men and women and different races and different socioeconomic statuses, right? And then anthropologists look at how people behave and have behaved in all cultures worldwide and since the dawn of time. Mm. So these these common threads of behavior and, and thought patterns and so forth. Whereas psychologists were very much on the individual. So a question like this, I approach from... Yes, those realities exist, but I'm one person. So what can I do and how can I empower or support? I don't I don't like the word empowering anyone else because people empower themselves. But how do I support someone else as they try to stand up to any kind of something they're experiencing, any kind of mm-hmm, abuse, any mm-hmm. kind of uh, disparaging force? I mean, victim blaming is a thing. All this, a woman is told, you know, you asked for it because you wore this outfit. All that stupid stuff. It's ridiculous. At the same time, I'm like, okay, but what can I do to not be abused in the future? So I'm almost looking at the individual and what she can do or he can do. I can only encourage a woman to to be stronger. And I'm not saying that I've always been strong in situations like that where I should have been like, shut up. Don't talk to me that way. I'm going to HR right away. Like, I don't know. So it's so complex. I don't know. Just having conversations like this, I think is growth and movement in the right direction. You know, the more people hear the reinforcement of giving themselves voice and giving themselves authority in the moment to know your value and your rights 
um, and and what is right versus what is wrong, like to ah. speak up and know their worth and uh, be able to use their voice properly. Yeah, because it's because that's why like I like that I as a psychologist I'm dealing with the individual because I think that's where there's more power to change. I can't change yeah. society. Yeah, no, you're so right. right. You're so right. right? Yeah. So I love going. What can I do? I can't change. I mean, there's so many variables at work, but yeah. So to me, I'm like I can't change all these bad guys out there. And you're right. There should be more societal messages that would encourage men to man up and be true gentlemen in the truest sense of the word like yes no one wants to take away a male a man's strength and I don't think women's empowerment means that men have to become weak I think everyone should be empowered yeah but I mean like you just said I love that just just standing strong in your in and and saying what you have to say in that moment yeah and as you're saying it starts with the individual and that feels makes it feel less daunting and less scary but going back to your book, and thank you for sharing all of your wonderful thoughts on that. I'm sorry that I put this, that like really intense question right in the middle, but, but I don't know. I felt moved to in the moment. <laughs> um, going back to your book, one of the things that women are, again, blamed, we're going to put in air quotes, quote unquote, blamed for is being too picky. And I can say that is true. And you as a single woman, I'm sure you heard that too. But I don't believe that men are ever called too picky. Um, And, you know, so one of your interpretations is the subtext um, of of people saying, well, really what it is is you think you're more special than anyone else and you need to recognize who's in your league and lower your standards. But like, I mean, why why do you think it it bothers people so much that women are discerning? (laughs) Yeah, it's... uh... (laughs) Because I think that people are threatened by a woman who won't play by the rules. The rules being, Ooh, yeah, <laughs> right. The uh, the rules being, if you have the courage to go it alone, if you have the courage to say, yeah, I'm going to be remain single longer than anyone else is comfortable with it, and I I'm sorry you're uncomfortable with it, but it's really not your business. It's not your problem. So relax. People, women are, are they're a threat because they won't play by those rules, and so then it has to be. Well, she's got this courage and this chutzpah. So let's let's. Let's take, take her, her down. down a couple notches. Let's tear her down a little bit and remind her that she's not so special and she's not so great. And why would she look for the love of her life? I mean, listen, you can look for the love of your life when you're 24, but when you're 44, <laughs> sorry, sorry. You should just like scoop up any old guy off the street Isn't that and put weird? a on yeah. him. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I, I, is there a good way to be picky? Or is there, you know, what language would you suggest when someone says that to single women? Um, standards is the language I like. That, I like that better too. Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay, you you can frame it as too picky. I have high standards, and I love the idea of. And I had to examine myself because I heard that so often that I thought, well, am I too picky? Then I thought, I'm only asking and looking for in a potential partner that which I am willing to give, and I believe I am. Right. I wasn't asking for someone to be. I mean, too picky to me would be he's got to make seven figures and he's got to drive right, like right. 25 luxury cars and he's got I'm five two but he's got to be six four I mean, yeah okay that's too picky I'll give it to him that's silly and, and that's, that's just your values are out of whack I don't know why you care about all that stupid stuff but I wasn't asking for anything like that I'm five four so I was like oh I guess I'd like him to be about my height at least you know we'll, <laughs> right. take, we'll take it from there you too know? picky and I, too picky I was, Karen <laughs> right and I was a professor so I I 
obviously education was important to me. So that was a value that I would also like to see someone who had similar values. And then, and then this gets back to what the research shows us about what makes a good partnership anyway. You can lower your own standards if you want because you've been told you're too picky. And then you're going to partner with someone who doesn't even have your same set of values, which the research on marriage shows you're going to be miserable. So, so to tell a woman to be less picky is a horrible idea. Agreed. And I th- I think it's because you're right. Like the word, I don't know why the word picky just sort of like sticks in people's minds yeah, because it it's not picky. It's about values and standards. And when you frame it as such, it makes a lot more sense, you know, like, um, right. I, and I also just think like a woman should be picky. Like <laughs> right. I'm not going to, I'm not going to date whoever says yes to me first. I wouldn't say yes to the first job that's offered to me. I wouldn't say yes to the first college that offers me, you know, like the point is to be discerning so that you yeah. can live your best and most authentic life. Um, so it's, it's strange to me that that's then turned around on you, you know, maybe 20 years later to say that that's a negative thing. Like, no, no, now your opinion is nonsense. <laughs> it's yeah. extraneous, you know? Yeah. Um, I yeah, just, and- I find that whole concept very interesting. Yeah. And it is sad because it, it really, like you said, it, it's, it, you hear it more the older you are and if you would, if you tried to marry your, your boyfriend when you were 18, everyone would be mad that you weren't picky enough, right? Like, yes, what are you doing? This is the first so guy you true. dated. Like, so you guys true. are young. You don't know what you're doing. <laughs> and then when you're, when you're 48, they're like, you're too picky. <laughs> what the hell world? <laughs> I know. That's totally insane. Um, I love chapter five um, because I have been told that I'm a little much um, <laughs> because I'm an extrovert and I laugh loud. Um, and your chapter five is titled, It's Not Because You Have to Tone It Down a Notch, um, yeah. in which you disguise, and this is very, very much like what I'm passionate about dismantling. You discuss that a lot of the advice we get is actually anti feminist, starting with the whole like, you're a catch, why haven't you been caught, for example. Yeah. Um, I want to share this quote. You also say, having a male partner is seen as a sign of social accomplishment. It's not really what a woman needs emotionally. So this is something that we already kind of have already addressed. But when you phrased it like that, anti-feminist, I was like, oh, you know, let's call a spade a spade. Let's say what this is. Actually, it's not just like well-meaning people with annoying opinions. This is actually kind of, antithetical to where our our culture needs to advance. Yeah, and it's so weird because it seemed to suggest that (laughs) what I was told as a child, which I have two older brothers, and my dad was like, my mom and dad are pretty traditional in their roles, and they got married in 1958, so they had kind of that framework from their their, their uh, societal context from their generation. But my dad was always like, doll babe, you can do whatever your brothers can do. Yeah. Right? Like, shoot for the stars. Dream big. There was no thought that if my brothers had something to say that I shouldn't say it. And if they said it loudly that I couldn't say it louder. I mean, but then, it, so again, we and we see examples of this. So that never set well with me because I thought you told me to go for it, to be the fullness of myself and my gifts and who I was meant to be. And then you're saying that somehow in the realm of love, I need to water that down, be a little bit less than because it's just going to intimidate some men. I also thought if I intimidate a guy by being just who I am, then he's not my guy. 
and <laughs> and I'm sorry for a woman who's ever toned herself down to fit what was meant what what someone told her would be then acceptable to a man. Yeah. Why would you do that? F- phone it in and do a fake version. Plus, all the all along, my I mean I like you extroverted and I like to laugh and I laugh loudly and. So my friends have always been that. And so here I was hearing this. I, I maybe should tone it down a notch. And I was like, well, my girlfriend is like three times louder than me, three times more opinionated. She says what she has to say with the, with the unedited. And she's happily married. My other girlfriend, the same. So I was like, this and what? It's it's just grasping at straws. People are trying to, they see yeah, a woman yeah. that doesn't make sense. And this is cognitive psych. I mean, we, our brains are designed to to make sense of our environment. We don't, our brains are very efficient we see things and we right away, we we make an assessment as to what we're looking at. And in fact, our brains, we even a step before that, our notions and our biases and the ways and our beliefs, they're actually projecting onto the world what we see. So it's not even that we're accurately viewing what we're seeing. We are interpreting what we see and what we experience through the lens of what we believe already. That being said, when they see a woman and she's 40 years old and she's beautiful and she's smart and she's accomplished and she's a catch... They try, the brain tries to make sense. They go, Mm. this doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense that she hasn't been snagged up, blah, blah, blah. Well, she must be doing something wrong. They're like, well, she's beautiful, so it's not that. And she's, she takes care of herself and all these things. Again, I'm not even saying these are fair or right, but these are the assessments that they make. And then they go, oh, wait, but she is kind of loud, right? (laughs) She's kind of opinionated. So maybe she should tone it down a notch. Hmm. Hmm. Like, yeah, I, I, I totally feel that the way that that you can be picked apart under this microscope of like, it doesn't make sense to me. So I'm going to try to figure it out. But it's really nice to actually, you know how people say that, like when you're feeling something um, physically wrong with you and people go down this WebMD rabbit hole because yeah. you just <laughs> right. need the closure of what is it? I need a name to it. Right. Um, I love that phrase. It, it, uh, cognitive dissonance is that right well this would be um a cognitive bias actually bias oh cool yeah. cognitive bias um but i think so you're right cognitive thing. dissonance would work too because it's just well the, thank you <laughs> <laughs> now that you say it yeah the idea that they have this framework for how the world is is going to work and and they see you and you're like you don't fit my mold there mm-hmm. yeah that's that's really fascinating to me um and actually i, I think it gives me I don't know, it relieves me a little bit in a strange way, you know, where you're just sort of like, like obviously I'm experiencing all these frustrations and my audience and my guests have been feeling these frustrations about um, the way we're dating and the way we're received and approached in, in society and culture and in our families and with our friends. And um, I don't know, there's some relief to know that like <laughs> it comes down to like brain hardwiring, yeah. you know, yeah. that it's, it's not really you. It's not, it's not right. even, you can almost take people's opinions out of it. It's like the brain is just trying to figure out like how you are in relation <laughs> to me. And that's yeah. like, like human being 101, like yeah. robot technique. Like how do I, I can need to assess you so I can figure out how to treat you, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and make sense of you because yeah. you don't make sense to me. Right, right. It's a, it's a shame, but you know, we're getting there. Um, I want to honor you. Like your Instagram account is so awesome, and I'm loving, loving all of the content that you share. You do a lot of Instagram lives with yeah. your followers and your listeners and your community, and sometimes it's just like, hey, like, what are you guys having problems with? What are your issues right now? How can I help in the moment? Um, 
Uh, I was wondering if you could share, you know, like where are people getting stuck in their single lives? What, what kind of questions are coming up for you often from your community? Yeah, the questions often surround some of the things we've touched on, actually. Of course, there's the single shaming stuff. Then there's the effort to date. Of course, this year has been a nightmare with the dating. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, yeah, that's another conversation perhaps. But <laughs> but yeah, and then the online and the app dating has just been so brutal for people, feeling commodified, yeah. feeling objectified, feeling disposable, that's been a very deep pain point for my community. And I feel that so intensely as well, you know, having going through the experience and none of us have answers. I'm sure you don't have answers either, yeah. but do you have any advice or tips that we can just use to feel better in the moment about where we're struggling with being single or dating? Yeah, it, it goes back to your mindset and the reality that you are the only person whose opinion of you matters. (laughs) So you determine the value of your life and you determine what it means that you're single right now. And you determine what it means that you had, you just got ghosted. You determine what it means that you just went through five horrible Zoom dates and there's no chemistry. You are the one who decides whether that is devastating and some somehow a reflection on you as a person or whether that is just part of your journey. And it takes a lot of discipline in your thought processes and your own, it takes a lot of fortitude, inner fortitude to decide that I have value and I have worth and I'm going to reframe whenever I need to that if I got ghosted, that was a blessing in disguise. I dodged bullets. If that person was going to be that rude and inappropriate, yes, it's disappointing the moment because I thought we had some chemistry, but wow, that's good that that person who has the capacity to ghost and be like that is out of my life forever. Good. That energy's gone. That sort of thing, taking the time to reframe those negative moments and then again, to be very clear about our own values and our own worth. And, and that is something that we can only do for ourselves. Even the psych research on self-esteem, which of course has been a, a construct that's been really big for like 50 years now. And the developmental psychologists try to, how can parents instill a strong self-esteem in their kids? And the reality is no one can give anyone self-esteem. Parents would love to be like, here kid, here's a high <laughs> self-esteem. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way in adulthood either. We... And it gets back to what we talked about at the beginning of this episode, that we set goals and we reach them. And that's how we develop self-esteem. So if we're feeling that we're out of control or feeling that our love life isn't playing out as planned, which I lived that life, then we look to other ways that we can bolster our self-esteem and own our life and lean into the idea that, okay, I can't control this, but that has nothing about me. It's just... This is a part of life that is not completely in my control, which I speak to, as you know, in the first chapter of my book, because I think so many single women struggle because, and and people too, bringing back self-esteem, they'll be like, well, she must have a low self-esteem and that's why she struggles being single. No, she's not struggling because of her low self-esteem. She's struggling because this realm of her life refuses to play by the rules that her (laughs) professional life plays by the rules. Yeah. Yeah, So that sort of thing. So recognizing that and bolstering yourself, and that's a long-winded answer, but there's so much to, to being single and to owning your own approach to it. And you have to decide every time that you go, oh, what are they going to think of me? Because here I am at this wedding by myself. You're giving everyone power. Why are you giving them your power? 
What mm. they think of you does not matter, but we decide it matters. And once we do that, we turn over our power. So again, sorry, lots to say on that. No, never apologize for that because I mean, this whole time I just, I had my eyes closed and I was listening to you like you were a mantra in my head. Um, I, I, I think there's so much beauty in what you shared, especially about the idea of, it's coming back to the self. Uh, yeah. You know, obviously everything in life, we actually, we have the illusion of control over it. Right. But all you really have control of is how you respond yep. to things happening in your life and to you. Um, and, you know, isn't that like, you know, coming full circle, there's nothing more feminist about that, about being able to control how you respond to the universe and making that your choice to live positively and happy. So. Yeah. I yeah. can't thank you enough for your wisdom and your inspirational words and your mantras and your <laughs> feminist spirit. Um, it's been a, just a joy to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much, Dr. Karen. Thank you for the invitation and the opportunity to share with your community. I appreciate it, Jeanette. Yeah, you bet. If people want to work with you or follow you or listen to you, how can they find you? Yeah, so my uh, website is loveandlifemedia.com because my podcast is called Love and Life with Dr. Karen, as you mentioned. So you can find all the things there. And then, yeah, like you mentioned, I'm really busy on Instagram. That's where you can access me easiest because I'm there a lot. And so that's uh, Dr. Karen, D-R dot K-A-R-I-N, which is very, uh, very important to say right now because no one likes those E-N Karens. She has, <laughs> she's been, she's, you're like, I'm a whole nother species of Karen. I am. And I didn't do that to be cute. My parents did that because of our Norwegian heritage. <laughs> oh my God. It's so funny. Um, and are you working one-on-one uh, -on -one with individuals right now or, or just focusing on media? I, I offer consultations, so I have package deals. You can do three sessions or one session, or I have groups that meet. So then, there, yeah, I keep them pretty small, uh, about five women and me. And again, it's just these kind of conversations on a more intimate level, providing one another with support. So those are uh, group support, essentially just on, on and, and, and love and life and all the things, but certainly the dating topics come up quite a bit, but that's uh, available on my website as well, loveandlifemedia.com. Cool. And we'll be sure to tag and link all of those options in the episode description for you guys if you want to. And I highly encourage you to have some more Dr. Heron in your lives. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jeanette. Uh, if you liked this episode, if it resonated with you, if you want to share it with your mom, <laughs> um, we would love if you would help us grow our audience. Hit subscribe if you're an Apple podcast listener that helps our podcast rise to the top. And of course, you can always follow us at, at hashtag single pod over on Instagram. We're having all the juiciest, yummiest feminist single conversations. That's it for this episode of Hashtag Single. Catch you next time. <laughs>